So I'm going to start today with uh, part three. We are in part three of this five-part series. Um, and I'm going to read to you a very familiar passage uh, that, some, that pro- probably all of you have at least heard of. Um, and it's commonly known as uh, the widow's might. But I want to read it to you and I want to break it out. And let's, let's explore what God has to say to us through this scripture. It starts in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And it says this. Sitting across from the temple treasury, Jesus watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and she dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, Jesus said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. For they gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. She has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. Uh, Today, for the next few moments, I want to speak on the subject, follow the money. Follow the money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful for the opportunity to explore your word and to look deeply into what you have to say to us, not just about our finances, but about our heart. And I would pray, Lord God, that each and every one of us today, whether we're coming from um, a background uh, uh, where generosity was um, applauded and celebrated, or whether we're coming from a background where we feel Um, cynical or frightened around this topic and the topic around money, I pray that uh, you would actually comfort our hearts and speak to us your words of truth. I pray that everything that you have to say to us would be for our good, uh, that you want something for us, not something from us. And I pray, Lord God, that each and every person here today um, would grow, all of us, me and every single person here, grow in our understanding of what you want from our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So in 1976, there was a movie. Some of you will know this movie. It won a bunch of Academy Awards. It was called All the President's Men. Has anybody seen that movie? It was Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. And they were, they were journalists. They were playing journalists from the Washington Post. It's based on a true story. And these journalists were, uh, were looking into uh, what became known as the Watergate scandal. It was the scandal that ended up uh, resulting in President Nixon being impeached. Uh, and there's this classic scene in the movie. We should show the movie here sometime. Let's make a note. Uh, uh, there's this classic scene in the movie where um, this FBI informant comes to Robert Redford, who's one of the journalists. And he comes to him and they're in this, um, they're in like this parking garage, this dimly lit parking garage. You can't see his face. He's an anonymous informant with the FBI and this is all true. And he comes to this journalist and he says, listen, if you really want to understand the scandal, if you really want to understand what's going on behind the scenes, all you have to do, he said, is follow the money. If you follow the money, you're going to find out. It will reveal, it will expose everything that's happening. And of course, the the journalists in in the movie and in real life began to follow the money trail. And that's how they discovered what was going on behind the scenes. And that phrase, that catchphrase, 
follow the money has caught on because it applies to so many areas of life. I mean, just it, like almost every area of life. If, if someone's solving a crime, if law enforcement's trying to solve a crime, what they're going to do primarily is follow the money, right? If, if, uh, if, if somebody's looking into a political scandal, what they need to do is follow the money. What, whatever it is that you are trying to discover, if you look where the finances flow, you're going to understand what's going on behind the scenes. If you wonder why Amazon boxes keep showing up at your house, you have to follow. If you find Target bags on your kitchen counter and you want to understand what's going, you got to follow the money. If your bank account is empty, and you try to understand what's happening. Just follow the money. And, and the reason is because we attach everything that we value is attached to money. Everything that we desire, and these can be good things or bad things, is attached to money. If you want a house, you need money. If you want an education, you need money. If you want to put food on your table, you need money. If you, whatever, literally everything you need, a roof over your head, everything that you desire and need is attached to money. And so when we follow the money, we see what people value because you can, you can buy almost anything you want or need if you have money. So money is this very, very deep spiritual and emotional thing that interacts with each and every one of us. And Jesus is doing this very bizarre thing in this story. He's sitting there watching what the people are giving. Now that's awkward to me because money is personal. You know, a lot of us are private about money because it's personal, because it reveals something about us. Jesus is actually like sitting at the temple and he's spying on what people are giving. Like, like it would be, the, the modern equivalent would be if you give on the QR code at one, of our, uh, at one of our locations. It would be like Jesus was sitting behind you like looking at your iPhone and saying, is that a re recurring gift or is that a one time? How many zeros are on that, right? It, it, it would be that like he, he, he sees your, if you mail it in, he sees your envelope and he holds it up to the light. It's just this weird thing that Jesus is doing and he's looking at what people are giving, but it's not because he's primarily interested in money. He's primarily interested in their heart. You see, Jesus came up with this idea, follow the money, long before 1976. If you look at Matthew chapter six, you see what he says in this passage. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And then he says something really, really fascinating. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what he's saying? He's saying if you really want to know what's going on in your heart, follow the money. If you're taking notes, write this down. The distribution of your resources reveals the disposition of your heart. I could get one, give me one groan on that. One amen, somebody. 
The distribution of your resources reveals the disposition of your heart. Uh, last Monday, Rebecca and I, as we're part of this, as we're, as we're praying and, and considering, we've, we've made our initial gift, but we're praying about what our two-year commitment is. Uh, and as part of that assessment, I want to know where we're, we are financially. So on Monday, Monday's my day off. Uh, this is the worst way to spend the day off. I'll just tell you what we did. I printed out three months worth of our bank statements. And Rebecca and I sat down at the kitchen table and she took notes. She actually typed it into a, a, like a spreadsheet. And I read off like the categories of where we are spending our money. I'm actually getting like, uh, like tense even talking about it right now. Um, because like what you start to see is that, and it, it, the spreadsheet was a Google Doc or it was some kind of a spreadsheet where it also gave like this circular graph. I'm terrible with graphs and with month, you know. I, so it had a graph and it showed you categories, like different colors. Like you spend a certain amount on groceries and a certain amount on home goods and a certain amount on mortgage and a certain amount in giving and whatever. So it kind of shows you what's going on. And as we're doing that, what we are seeing is a revelation of our heart. We're not just seeing where we distribute our money. We're seeing the disposition of our heart because where your treasure is, there your heart is. That means whatever you value, that's what you are going to put your money on. And it turns out for us that our hearts are disposed towards a little Swedish company called Ikea. And they just have a little piece of our hearts. Banana Republic has a little sliver of, a, of our heart. I, what, what we see is this is where our heart is, right? And so if we want our heart to be somewhere else, we have to direct and, and we have to direct the things that we value towards that thing. Otherwise, we end up valuing everything that benefits us and not valuing things that benefit other people. Uh, the, the widow in this, in this picture uh, is giving something of great value. It's so interesting the way uh, Jesus talks about it because he's, he's, he's exposing and revealing something in this passage that I think is hard for us to, to grapple with. Um, and, it's be, and it's hard because there are a number of reasons why it's hard. One is this. We have seen this topic badly treated spiritually. I don't know if you have, but I have. I, I am disgusted when I look uh, at a TV and there's like a, what essentially is a carnival barker or, or a huckster up there using God and spirituality to fleece people out of their money. It's gross and it's disgusting. And we, we've all seen it um, and it's condemnable right? So like that is something that it should be roundly and soundly condemned. People that will say that it's sort of an exchange. If you give $777 to this ministry, you will get seven times back and you know, you'll, your acne will clear up and your bald spot will be, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's gross and it's not right. And the problem is that deters pastors and churches from actually teaching the true 
principles and truth about what God says about money. And so what happens is we have this spiritual life where we're willing to pray and read the Bible and praise and serve, but we don't actually see money as an act of worship because it's difficult for churches who aren't crazy to talk about money because they don't want to be associated with the crazy churches that talk about money. Are you with me this morning? Am I making sense to you? And so I just want to take a moment and ease your concerns. This is not that. This is not that kind of place. This is what we are doing is we are developing an initiative because we want, I'm not concerned about us raising the $5 million, to be honest with you. That, that does not keep me awake at night. I think we'll do that. I'm confident that we'll do that because I know who you are and I know who I am and I know what God is doing here. So what this initiative is truly about is teaching us and developing a sense of discipleship in us where we can take what we have learned from what God's word is and apply it to our lives and liberate ourselves from the bondage of money. And so we can actually work in accord with what God's truths are. And this is how, this is how I really mean this. If you are here today and you are an atheist or an agnostic, if you are cynical, skeptical, if you're a person of a different faith tradition, you should not participate in this initiative. You should not give your money towards this initiative because this initiative is going towards advancing the kingdom of, of God. It's going towards advancing the gospel. And if you don't believe in that, if your heart's not in that, you should not participate in that. However, you should give money somewhere. You should, should give money to something that is bigger than you because if all of your money is going back to you, then you have, you have created a very small life for yourself. What generosity does is it attaches you to a bigger story. And when we give towards the kingdom of God, we're attaching ourselves to God's story. Our life just got expanded because our story just got connected to God's story and God's story is massive and it's global and it's eternal. Does that set your mind at ease about this, about this topic? So Jesus does something as he's watching this woman. He, he says something very, very confusing to his disciples. He says in Mark 12, 43, he says, that poor widow has put in more than all the others. Now, we just saw earlier that that wasn't true because it said they put in large sums and all she put in were two little coins. If, did, did all of y'all get a bag when you came in this morning? Did everybody get one of these bags? Anybody not get a bag? You should get one of these on your way out. Inside of this bag, apparently, is a lot of money. Some of you looked in it already. Have you looked in there's two pennies inside of this bag. You're welcome. <laughs> I think the bag was actually more expensive than <laughs> the pennies. <laughs> um, but what Jesus is saying, he says those two pennies that this woman gave was actually more than the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars that everybody else gave. You say, well, now how is, how is that even possible? But then he explains in the next verse, he says, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. She has put in everything she possessed. If you're taking notes, write this down. God doesn't see sums, God sees sacrifice. He doesn't see sums, he sees sacrifice. Some of you will remember the, the, the matriarch of our church, Mother Ray, who passed away in March. 
one of the things, uh, and, and I love Mother Ray, and you, you, she'll end up in my sermons for the next 40 years. I'm, she's just going to pop up every, every once in a while. But one of the things that Mother Ray did uh, that I'll never forget is when my daughter was born, she knit my daughter this little pink and white dress and a little hat. I think it was a dress. It was like a gown. Uh, and I don't know if it's knitting, but it was, I don't know what you call that, but you take the thread and you yarn, crochet. Thank you, Tina. Um, crocheted this beautiful little dress and this little hat. And it was just, it was just, it was just beautiful. Now, let me tell you, you could give my daughter a mink coat with silk lining and diamond buttons, and it's not going to mean to me what that knit dress and cap meant to me. Because the person who did it spent time sacrificing her time for my daughter, right? The, the sacrifice is what matters. Jesus says this woman only gave two coins, but it was all that she had. It was everything that she had. Now, here's where the story, gets, the story gets confusing. And I think a lot of people find this story troubling, which is why it sticks around for so long, because you, you keep thinking about it. Because you first are wondering, like, wait a minute. Is Jesus saying that we should all give all that we have? Right? I mean, there, I've read a ton of commentaries on this, on this subject this week. Is Jesus saying that we should give away everything that we have? He's actually not saying that. He's not saying that. He's not saying you should give all of your money to the church. He's not saying that. He, he, he only said that one other time in the scripture. He said it to a guy who was so bound up by his money, a rich young ruler, two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 10, a guy that was so bound up by his wealth that Jesus said, listen, if you want to be free from, the, from your, your, your master, which is money, then you need to give it all away, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And the rich young ruler, if you know that story, turned away and said, I can't do it. That's the only time he's, he ever said that. In fact, he doesn't say after the widow gave all that she had, he doesn't say, now all of you go and do likewise. In fact, from a pastoral standpoint, I'm going to discourage you from giving all of your money to the church or to anything. Okay, I'm just, because if you can't pay your rent and you can't buy food and you can't put a house over your head and you can't take care of yourself, that's not a good situation. We have a guest room, but you are not invited to come and live with us. So I'm going to discourage you from making that move. But, so Jesus isn't saying that's what you need to do. Other commentators say, actually, Jesus is condemning this action. He's, he, some commentators say that what he's saying is, wow, the, the, the temple system had become so corrupt that a poor widow uh, gave her last uh, two mites and she shouldn't have done that. Well, there's nothing in the text that says that either. Jesus is neither condoning what she did or condemning what she did. What he's doing is comparing what she did to what other people are doing because he's trying to teach us a principle and that is that God doesn't see sums, God sees sacrifice. He's saying that, that our hearts are tied up with our finances, with our resources, and when we give out of uh, sacrifice, then it demonstrates who we serve. Did you catch that, somebody? When we sacrifice, it, it demonstrates, it reveals who we serve. Because this is what Jesus wants us to know about money and God. He says in Matthew 6, nobody can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. 
And then he makes it real clear. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve them both. If you're taking notes, write this down. Money is God's rival for your reverence. He doesn't say this about anything else. He just says it about money. Why why is that? Because money is so important. I touched on this at the beginning. It puts a roof over your head. It puts food in your mouth. It puts clothes on your back. It, puts an, it gives an education to your kids. It determines whether you live in a, in, a, in a safe neighborhood or a dangerous neighborhood. It determines whether you can drive a car that will go on and on for miles or whether it's going to break down by the side of the road or whether you can have a car at all. Money has to do with everything. It provides comfort. It provides safety. It provides security. Everything that matters to us. And so Jesus says, this is going to be my main rival because I don't want you serving it. It needs to serve you. You don't serve it. It is a tool for you. It is, you are not a tool for it. It is something that I give, God says, to us as a resource, right? For you to use the way that I direct you to use it. Don't be bound up by money. When, when Rebecca and I first got married, actually, when we first got engaged, One of the things we did, and here's just a little marital tip for anybody. It's in a relationship, a committed relationship. One of the things that we did is we eliminated contact with all of our former romantic partners. I didn't have any, but she apparently had. (laughs) We really did. Like, not not just like kind of, we actually did. We both were like, uh, I'm not going to communicate with anybody that I've been romantic with in the past, and she's not going to communicate with anybody that she's been romantic with in the past. And you might go, well, that's a little bit extreme, you know. And some, some of you might think that's extreme, and some of you that are in happy marriages are like, good call. Um, but, but the reason we did it is we didn't want any rivalries for our reverence. I, I, did, I, I, <laughs> I did not want, I did not, I did not want to have any, anybody out there that was a threat to my relationship with her on either side. And she didn't want anybody that was a threat on either side, right? So we said, look, we're going to do away with what we were doing because now we're committed to this new thing. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to not be attached to your old loves. You are the bride of Christ. I want you to be attached to me where your treasure is, there your heart is. He's saying, look, I, I, wanna, I want you to, to no longer be subservient to finances. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be a part of my mission. I want you to be a part of my vision. And one of the ways that you do that is by demonstrating, by revealing your heart through sacrifice, by giving something that matters to God. One of the things that I ask, I'm asking myself, personally. We're asking this as we go through this. And I've asked this, I'm asking this currently, like almost every week. At what level do I feel it? At what level of generosity, and I'm talking about me, our family, at what level of generosity do I feel it? When am I giving out of surplus versus when am I giving out of poverty? Like at what point do I give an amount that, that dings me? That makes me go, hmm, I was going to do that, but I'm not going to do that because now I'm going to do 
this. I'm going to give something. And, and, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying she didn't actually in monetary value give more. In fact, two cents doesn't move the needle, right? But she gave all. The sacrifice was great. So here's the question that if you are part of this or if you're thinking through, if you're serious about being a part of this and participating with this, the question that you are asking and I'm asking is how much do I give, right? And I, I don't, do not make a commitment today, please. But that's the question you're asking. And what I want us to do as, as, an, as an act of discipleship, I want all of us to be praying about that question And as we're doing that, what we're going to find is that we are somewhere on what I'm going to call a generosity journey. And this this applies whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't believe in giving to the church, then think about your giving to other things, okay? Because we're all part of a generosity journey. Uh, And the first step, in fact, this is all in your booklet too. I think it's on page 30. If you don't follow along now, but you can read up afterwards. Um, The first step on the generosity journey is what we call someone who is an initial giver. An initial giver is someone who, for the first time in their life, we've all been there, all all of us that have have ever started giving. For the first time in their life, they say, I want to respond to what God says about giving, and I'm going to give something to God. That's an initial giver. Some of you here today, you will be initial givers. You've never given before, and throughout this series, you're hearing what God says about it, and you're going to do that. And we want you to take that step. I want you to take that step. If you leave here and move to Atlanta because you got a a job uh, there, go give there. It doesn't matter where you give. It matters that you give, right? An initial giver is somebody who says, God teaches me about this, that this is like prayer. This is like worship. This is like Bible reading. Giving is is like one of those things. So I'm going to do that. Um, The next step is what I would call an intermittent giver. An intermittent giver is somebody who actually sees in their heart the connection between generosity and spiritual health. This is somebody who says, I'm doing this because it's, there's value. It's important to do this and I'm going to do it. Now they haven't done it. They're not doing it consistently, but they're doing it at least intermittently when they think of it, right? So they're starting to draw that connection. The next step would be somebody who I would call a consistent giver. A consistent giver is when somebody says, this is an act of worship that I am responsible for and I want to be a part of this. What people start to ask when they become a consistent giver is, why am I giving more to T-Mobile than I am to God? Why am I giving more to AT&T and Verizon for my iPhone every month than I'm giving to God? Some of you, some, just, I can tell some of you are there, right? You start going, hmm, I'm, that doesn't line up, right? Is my heart that connected to, you know, my phone more so than the, the things of God? And so they start to draw this connection. Uh, when you start to become, there's a lot of times where people start to tithe. They start to set a percentage and they go, I'm committed to doing this. Um, and so some of you are going to move into that stage. Uh, the next stage is what I would call a surrendered giver. A surrendered giver is somebody who says, I finally get it. I am God's money manager, right? I'm God's money manager. The money that is in my possession, the resources that are in my possession are not mine. I'm managing funds on behalf of somebody else. On, beha- I'm, on behalf of God, I am managing finances. Therefore, my job is to direct those finances according to the wishes of the one who has given them to me. This is a breakthrough 
for many people. And strangely, people that are not even Christians sometimes will get this, although in a more kind of general way, they'll start to understand that resources are to be managed. That's why when I said at the beginning, we own the Tivoli, the truth is we don't own the Tivoli. God owns the Tivoli. We're managing the Tivoli, right? Everything, it was here before we got here. It'll be here after we're gone. It always belonged to God and we're managing it while we're here. The surrendered giver starts to understand none of what I have is mine. In fact, let me take it a next step further. My wife is not mine. My children are not mine. My house is not mine. My car is not mine. My clothes are not mine. My, my health is not mine. Nothing is mine. Everything that I have is a blessing from God for me to manage and to steward as long as I'm alive. Are you with me this morning? Because it's so quiet out there. The next step is what I would call a legacy giver. A legacy giver is somebody who is thinking about the long-term effects of what they, of what they give and they are thinking about, they're planning long-term. Legacy giver, you'll, you'll meet some legacy givers in your life, and they're amazing to be around because they're actually planning their life around their, around their, their generosity. They're not thinking about, they're not allowing their giving or their, their, their spending to dictate their generosity. They're allowing their generosity to dictate their spending. So they have a giving goal where they say, I'm gonna give X amount, and that means I'm gonna live on this amount. Um, and so their whole life's orientation has turned around generosity. Now, all of us are going to find ourselves on one of those steps. And what I would ask for you to do today is to pray and say, God, where do you want me to land on that pathway? Where, where are you calling me on that pathway? Where are you calling me to land? And how are you calling me to participate? And, and, and if it doesn't have anything to do with this initiative, if you take this and you go do this somewhere else, then we have won by teaching you what God has to say about this. But wherever you are on that journey, my request to you would be that you stop and you pause and you pray. Now, in a couple weeks, actually tonight for some people, but in, uh, in a couple weeks for everybody else, we're gonna ask everybody to make a commitment. Everyone will receive one of these commitment cards. And on the commitment card, there's a, um, a, a chart and the chart basically shows uh, where the number of gifts that, we will, uh, that, will, that will come in to reach that $5 million goal. And so I would ask that you would take some time, pray about that chart, consider that chart, and ask God where, where he wants you to land on that chart. And then you're going to, after you have prayed, you'll fill out the bottom part. The bottom part is basically a, a commitment that you are making. Um, nobody's going to hold you to that if you can't make, if you can't do it. Uh, nobody's going to call you and go, you pledged X amount. Where is it? No, nobody's going to do that. This is actually between you and God. Filling out the card is helpful for us from a budgeting standpoint. And it's helpful for you because it's helpful to make a commitment and to write it down and to say, I'm committed to this, right? And so tonight, some of you will make this commitment. And in a couple weeks, others of you will make this commitment. But what I'm going to pray is for each of you. In fact, I think we also have, we have, um, um, a cool commitment card. I don't know if I've got it. Oh yeah. Our children are participating in this. Our, our little kids are saying, uh, now they're not necessarily little ones giving to the church, but what their commitment is, is um, 
I love Jesus and I want to show him by giving or serving in this way. And they're filling out this little bottom line. So your kids are actually going to participate in this. Some of the older kids are actually going to participate in the Beyond Initiative. Other ones are going to make a commitment to give away a toy to their friends. But everybody, our goal is that everybody participates in some way. Everybody gets involved in some way. And as a model of this kind of life, One Family Church, and many of you already know this, One Family Church from its very inception has said we want to organizationally model this behavior. So from day one, and many of you already know this, from day one, One Family Church has always given away at least 10% of what has been given to One Family Church. Somebody asked us the other day on Facebook, because, you know, if you're following, if you follow Facebook, there's been a lot of, like, chatter about One Family Church purchasing the Tivoli. And somebody asked, I wonder if One Family Church ever gives any money away, or are they charitable in any way, right? Um, and my wife is very vigilant about responding to those kinds of questions. <laughs> so <laughs> she said, oh, by the way, not in a snarky way, oh, by the way, last year, One Family Church gave away over $100,000 to feed, feed those that are hungry, to put clothes on people's backs, to provide shelter, to provide mental health care, to provide pro bono legal services to people, to help keep people's lights on. To, we, this is just what we do. And every year since our inception, we have given away over 10%. Um, today, many of you, when you came in, you saw one of our partners. For the next several weeks, we're inviting our partner organizations, the agencies that we support, uh, to come and be in the lobby. I think there's one of our partners, um, South City Community Church, is in the lobby today at the Tivoli, and I believe they also have somebody in the lobby down at the Shaw campus. Um, I want to show you just a one-minute video of what they're doing so you can get a flavor of the kinds of people that we're supporting. I am a scientist by trade, and that doesn't negate uh, my love for Christ, you know, and, and watching all that like tie in for my child is just amazing at this young age. I was thoroughly impressed with the academic rigor of South City, but what was the true impetus was knowing that she could be unashamed of her faith here in this school. She would be immersed in prayer, studying the Bible, knowing that all the staff uh, were believers as well. The school is helping us as parents reinforce God's word in her heart. The level of care that they have for my kids I think is different than maybe in other schools. Knowing that they're praying for them, knowing that there's Bible time in the classroom. Also just knowing that there are other Christian families that send their kids here and that my kids are becoming friends with other Christians is really valuable as well. If you are a Christian parent looking for a Christ-centered school for your child, I would definitely consider SCCS for the care, uh, the compassion, and the sense of community. Amen. That's one of our uh, ministry partners. We have dozens of ministry partners that we support, um, not only here locally, but around the nation and around the world. Um, so what I'm, what I'm asking for you to do today is to consider uh, what God would have you do. And I don't want you to make a commitment. I do want you to come to the dessert tonight. I want you to come to the dessert tonight where we can be in, a, in an intimate setting down at the Shaw campus where we can eat together, we can pray together, we can sing together, and we can open our hearts and see where God would have us go. Because the one thing that I know is that this is bigger than us. This is beyond us. 
I, I, I'm thrilled that I get to participate in this. Our trustees are happy to be a part of this. Our ministry council, our staff, our leaders, we're all thrilled to be a part of this. I'm excited about what's happening here, but this is beyond us. And what God is teaching me, and I pray that I am faithfully teaching you, is that he is able to do above and beyond all that any of us could ever ask or imagine. And he's gonna do it according to the power that works in you. And it's gonna be to the glory of the church and it's gonna be to the glory of Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for this poor woman, this poor widow who demonstrates a level of sacrifice that most of us could never even imagine. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your work. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your mission. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your vision of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish, not only here in St. Louis, but beyond. And I pray, God, that each and every one of us would be inspired. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be acting out of condemnation. We wouldn't be acting even out of duty. We, wouldn't even, we would not be acting out of shame. We would not be acting out of any kind of manipulation. But Lord, we would be responding to the power of your word and that we would want to attach our story to yours. We would want to be a part of the story of the expansion of the kingdom of God, the spread of the gospel here and abroad. I pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would arrive at wherever you want us to arrive at financially on this initiative. Uh, and we would do it with joy in our hearts, with gladness in our hearts that we get to participate in what you're doing. And I pray, God, that you and you alone would receive all of the honor, all of the praise, and all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to invite you uh, to worship with us as we close. Uh, one of the ways that you can worship with us is to fill out uh, your uh, QR code. If you want to connect with us, if you want uh, in any way to, to, you need a prayer or you want to get baptized or you're making a commitment to follow Jesus, you can do that on that, um, on that QR code. Uh, if you um, uh, want to give as part of your regular giving, don't don't, please don't feel any pressure to start your beyond giving or to make that commitment today. Uh, but if this is your church home and you want to just participate in your regular giving, you can do that today. Uh, we will have um, our prayer team out in the side auditorium. This is such a deep subject. It's such a personal subject. I can feel how personal it is by how silent it is this whole, this whole Sunday. Um, and so if you need prayer about this, go to our prayer team and just say, look, I just need to pray about getting my head around this. This is this is, this is heavy for me, or this is intense, right? You can go and pray with them uh, at the end of service, uh, and you can also go and take communion in, um, in our prayer room. Uh, I'd also love to invite you now to stand with us as we close our service in worship. Amen.